Well, good morning, church. Y'all doing all right? I feel like I should be like a WWE wrestler coming out to that music. Are you with me? Anybody be like Ric Flair? Woo! Give me a root. Okay, never mind. Some of y'all aren't redneck enough. That's okay. But man, it is so good to see you. If you're a first-time guest, my name's Dustin. I'm the teaching pastor here. It is so good to be with you. I was out of town last week. Despite what Brandon, our student coordinator, said, I did not call in sick. Um, if you're new and didn't get the, the joke, I'm a huge Tennessee fan. They lost to Georgia last week. I had a planned trip out of town to visit my sister-in-law and nieces and nephews. And, um, and so Brandon made a joke about me not showing up. And last Sunday was his last Sunday. So um, so I know he's here, but he's just a member trying to, uh, I rebuke him. No, just kidding. No, I'm just joking, but so glad you guys are here. And uh, if you're new to our church or, or call this place home, you know this. And I just want to uh, kind of reiterate that each and every Sunday, at this place, we worship hard, man, we dig into God's word. We are all about life change and seeing God do amazing, amazing things in the lives of each and every one of us because we're not perfect. You and I are not perfect and we're in this thing called life, just trying to be uh, intentional followers of Christ. And so we always do that, but today is a special day that we call the big day. And the reason we call it the big day is because we're giving away, everybody gets $1,000 as you leave here. Amen. Yeah, everybody, like, I like this church. And no, I'm just kidding. But uh, no, we call today the big day because as a staff and as a church, we have been intentionally praying and wholeheartedly believing that across all of our campuses, God is going to change someone's life today. And while we do, we pray that every Sunday, but it is with great intentionality that today, that this morning, you will hear the message of Jesus so clear, or at least I hope it is so clear that as you walk out of here, you will know whether or not you have a relationship with Christ. And that is something that needs to be super important in each of our lives. So whether you grew up in church, didn't grow up in church, you like church, hate church, you know, whatever you, wherever you fit, that this morning we want you to be challenged in that and to be confident when you leave here that you know that you have a relationship with Christ. Um, this morning I want to start off with telling you a little story uh, about my childhood. Now, I will say this, every single one of us, if you're like me, I would say there's a bunch of different memories I have when I was a kid, but there's really like one story that really sticks out and I could vividly tell you because it, 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 like I remember like it was yesterday. Do you have those stories? You have like that one story that you just remember and it could be like the best Christmas you've ever had. It could be like the best vacation or something your parents did. It can also be something that, you know, like you're like, that was really bad, <laughs> you know? Um, my story is kind of like that. Um, when I was 11 or 12, I think I was in sixth grade at the time, um, I remember going to a friend's house in the neighborhood and my parents told me to be back at a certain time and I did not listen and I lost track of time or whatever. I was having fun and I got home and I was late. And so as every reasonable parent would, they grounded me. They said, hey, told you to be home at this time and you weren't. And so now you cannot, <coughs> excuse me, go out to other friends' homes. Well, shortly after that, my neighbors across the street, 
uh, there were four girls. There were two high school girls and two um, middle school girls. And I was a middle school boy, so you know what I was thinking. Um, they had, the two older girls were twins and they were having a sweet 16 birthday party. That they, they invited me and my younger brother. So here I am, sixth grade boy. My brother's four years younger than me. He's like eight. They invite us over and I'm like, I'm not telling my parents about this because they're gonna tell me no. Now, thankfully their parents talked to my parents and said, hey, they should come. And the dad was a cop. So my parents deliberated. I asked, I was like, please, okay? And this is where they came. They came to me, they said, we're gonna let you go. And then they offered this really five word uh, threat, if you will. They said, this is your last, what? Chance. Now, parents, I don't know if you've ever told your kids that, right? But my parents, they used it, and I, I, like, it meant business, right? When my dad and my mom got together, and my dad was a big dude. He had like bare hands, right? And when he came, and he said, this is your last chance. And it was like, do not ruin it. I said, okay. There's something about hearing that statement, this is your last chance, that like anxiety, or there's like a level of importance that happens and urgency that happens in your life. Like, I think there's like something sick and manipulated that, you know, like advertisers do. Like, it's your last chance to buy a brand new car at this rate, last chance, Sunday, 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 you know, and something like that. But when my parents, when they told me that, I was like, okay, they mean business. So we went over to this birthday party and I know, I know it was my last chance. I got there and they told me to be home at 10 o'clock. Well, we're having a good old time. And at 9.55, the high school girls were like, we should walk to McDonald's because that sounds awesome. All right. And it was 9.55 and I knew that it was going to be a long walk to McDonald's. It was far. It was about 45 minutes away. <laughs> I speak from experience. Okay. So it's 9.55. So I am faced with a decision. Do I obey my parents, because this is my last chance, or do I do something stupid, disobey my parents, and walk to McDonald's? And because I was in sixth grade, and I was a middle school boy, and my frontal lobe was not fully developed, <laughs> I decided that, eh, it won't be my last chance. So I went, okay, let's take my younger brother. My younger brother, eight years old, he's like, we should go home. I'm like, don't listen. Don't listen, you know? I'm like, we're, we'll be fine, okay? So we walked to McDonald's, 45 minutes. Get there, and here's the kicker, punchline. McDonald's was closed, all right? I just wanted a milkshake, that's all I wanted. And we come back, and we're going through neighborhoods and everything, and I lived on the top of, like, the street, and it was a street that came down to a cul-de-sac, and we were cutting through these people's yards, and we get to the cul-de-sac, and I begin to walk up the hill, knowing, and it's, it was like those, ec the echoes, like, this is your last chance, 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 you know? And I'm thinking, uh-oh, my palms started sweating, you know, my heart was beating, and I walk up, and I look at the top of that hill, and the silhouette of my dad, Okay? I'm thinking, oh, Lord, you know. And I didn't grow up in a Christian home, so I, I, but I was probably praying. I, I guarantee that. And I get up there, and my brother, or my dad, chases my brother. True story. Chases my brother into the neighbor's yard, and this is wearing him out in the neighbor's yard. He looks at me. He says, go to your room, you know. So I'm like, yes, sir. So I go to my room, and I go upstairs, get in my room, and I lock the door. Let me just tell you this, kids. Never lock the door. Do not lock the door. 
So I hear my brother getting beat all the way up the stairs. No, daddy, no, daddy. Do, 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 do. Go, he's, his room is right next to me. And I'm like, okay, this is how stupid I was. I'm thinking, he's young, he's dumb, he's gonna get beat. I'm 12, I can't get spanked. You know, I'm just gonna get one of those boring lectures. Next thing I know, open up this door. And I'm like, yes, sir, yes, sir. Before I could even unlock it, it's like Greenville County SWAT came to my house, right? It's wham, he kicks open that door and just wears me out. And some of you are like, that's so cruel. Your parents were abusive. No, that's called growing up. And if you're in my generation or older, you know what I'm talking about. Now, you know, like my kids are like, you put a finger on me, dad. I will call 911. I'm like, no, you won't, okay? So my dad wore me out. And, and I will, I'll never forget, he literally, I remember in that last chance, he said, you do anything, you won't be able to sit down for a week. And sure enough, <laughs> I was not able to sit. I remember going to the bus the next day and my butt was hurting so bad. It was so bruised and bus rides are not smooth. And I was like propping myself up that whole time for a week. I guarantee it. But that last chance, you know, I, I, made, I had a decision to face. And here's the thing is that then I got invited to church a few years later and I hear for the very first time, the pastor say something along the lines of this. He says, hey, I want you to think about God as your father here on earth. And to me, not, not being in a Christian home, probably having PTSD from getting whooped, <laughs> I'm thinking, that's how God is? God is like, this is your last chance. You'll be grounded. And if you break that, you know, that God is just some God that sits on some cloud ready to give consequences and to just hurt and to bring pain and suffering. I didn't, it didn't compute in my mind. I didn't want to trust or believe in a God like that. And the reality is for many of us in this room this morning, no matter what or how you grew up, whether you grew up in church or not, whether you went to a traditional church or not, whether you just became a Christian, whether you're here this morning, you're like, I just don't know. I got invited by somebody. I'm just checking this out. Regardless, every single one of us, myself included, bring things to the table and try to define God by things that really, if you look in scripture, he's not defined by. And we try to make him something that he's actually not. So here's my hope and my prayer this morning. My hope and prayer is that you will see Jesus clearly today in such a way that you leave here and say, I want a relationship with him. That you look and you say, it's not this, this mean, authoritative God. Now, sure, there should be a healthy fear in us between God, the creator of heaven and earth and of the universe, but for us to be able to see the grace and the beauty and the forgiveness that God offers through Jesus. It's a beautiful beautiful picture. So I hope that you see that. And I hope that you walk out of here knowing for sure that you have a relationship with Christ. Because if there's anything, there's a lot of things in our life that we can do wrong and we can recover from them. But this is one of those things that you do not want to get wrong. You don't want to get your salvation and where you're going to spend eternity wrong. And so in this story, uh, we're going to be looking this morning in Luke chapter 23. Now, Jesus has been arrested He's proclaiming to be the son of God. And so they arrest him and they torture him and he suffers. He's whipped and stabbed and spit on and beard plucked and all kinds of different things. A thorn put on his head. 
And then he is crucified on the cross. And what we're going to see this morning is as he is hanging on that cross, there are two criminals, one to the right and one to the left. And it really is a perfect story of someone who had a last chance. Really, these two men had a last chance. And one of the men got it right. But one of them got it wrong. And so I want us to really put ourselves in this story. And the question that I've been wrestling with is, which one am I? Which thief, which criminal am I? Because we're all guilty of sin. So let's read this together. Chapter 23 of Luke, starting in verse 32. says, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. They nailed him to the cross and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now this is a beautiful picture. Now, oftentimes when we see the, this kind of the crucifixion in paintings, it's like up on a hill, far, far away. Now, historical um, researchers often think that the crucifixion was a public mockery. So it wasn't on some pasture far, far away for just people to see from afar. It was brutal and nasty and usually very, very close to the road for everyone to see to really a scarlet letter, if you will, to be shamed and to be mocked because they are criminals. So here is Jesus and here are these two thieves. And I'm just gonna tell you, if I'm Jesus and I'm on that cross, I am saying everything but what Jesus just says right here. I'm pleading my innocence. I'm talking bad to the officials, probably non-pastoral things. I didn't do this. What are you doing? What are you accusing me of? I'm, I'm, I'm innocent. But yet in this moment, what we see is this great humility and servanthood of Jesus where he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I think for many of us, man, this paints an incredible picture of who Jesus is. Instead of mocking and saying like, I, don't, I mean, you're a criminal, you're a criminal, I don't deserve this. He prays for them and he prays for the crowd. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And then it continues. Luke says this, they, um, they cast lots to divide his garments. They were kind of gambling um, Jesus's garments and the, the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Then there was also an inscription over him, one of mockery that said, this is the king of the Jews. So you see the mockery of Jesus and, and sar sarcasm of the crowd is on full display. And then verse 39, one of the criminals who was hanged railed um, at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Now think about this. Here's one criminal. Here's the first. And here he is being crucified next to Jesus. And his response is, save yourself. If you're God, if you're Christ, if you're who you say you are, save yourself. 
And, by the way, can you save us? <laughs> it's kind of a backhanded insult. You know, it's kind of like, if you're that, save us too. Prove it, but let it be to our benefit. So you see the sarcasm, the doubt, the fear in this criminal. But what I want us to see this morning is the beauty of this other criminal. On the other side, verse 40, but the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Man, what a beautiful, beautiful picture. So here is Jesus at the end of his life, arms stretched with a criminal on his right and to his left. And I love this because what Jesus is thinking about, if you really think this, that Jesus's last mission was really his first calling. In Luke 19, it says that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. So before his last breath, Jesus with his arms stretched out, extended, wants to bring these two sinners to, to, into relationship with him, into grace for them to experience forgiveness and be with him in paradise. And both criminals have an opportunity and it was their last chance. They're about to die. And one said, you know what? This is dumb. Save yourself and save us. And the other one with humility came and he said, will you remember me? Will you remember me? And this awesome promise that Jesus says, you will be with me in paradise. So a little bit different note-taking, if you will, this morning. I want to bring to your attention just four words that come to mind while I'm reading this passage to really show and to really understand a relationship with Christ. Because I think for us, oftentimes, this is the world we live in, we overcomplicate what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You have to do this. You got to do this. You got to jump through this hoop. You got to do this and all this, all this different red tape. And right here, Jesus didn't say, oh, I know you're on the cross, buddy, but you really need to do that 12-week evangelism study. <laughs> you know, have you been doing your quiet time? Have you done this or done that? No. It was a simple confession on this man's part and acknowledgement of who Jesus was that he entered into this relationship that he would be promised eternity. So here's the four words I wanna to present to you this morning. The first one's conviction. Now, when you hear, about, hear that, I mean, if you grew up in the Bible Belt of the South, you're like, oh, here it comes, you know. I don't know about you. I don't like to be convicted. You know, there's times where I tell my kids not to do something and then I do it and they remind me I'm not supposed to do it. And I feel convicted. And I'm like, well, I'm the adult here. <laughs> so what am I supposed to do? But in our life, we don't like to be, we don't like to feel wrong. We don't like to get our toes stepped on, our feet broken. And really conviction is the pivotal moment in our lives where God is attempting to get our attention. 
there's something in us and that stirs in us that says, you know what, there's something wrong here. There's a problem. I'm dealing with this or this or this, and it's not going according to plan. It's called sin. And a lot of people don't want or have a problem really thinking or don't want to think that we are born with a sinful nature. And I would say those same people, their minds change when you have kids. Because I'll tell you what, I love my kids. You love your kids most of the time. I always tell them, I love you, but I do not like you right now, <laughs> you know? I didn't teach my kids to bite, to steal, to hit, to talk back. It's their sinful nature. It's in all of us. It says we have, Scripture says we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one is better than the other, and I'm speaking to myself. I'm imperfect, you're imperfect. That sin causes this problem, and God brings it to our attention that you are not right, with me. And so in that conviction is the first step for us to choose. We either acknowledge that sin that separates us from God and we say, I need to do something about it. Or we're like, you know what? Who cares? And we just ignore it. I'll just keep on living the way I want um, to live. I love what Tim Keller, he's a pastor up in New York, author. He says this, the problem with the world is that it blames problems on things besides sin and identifies salvation on things besides God. Think about that. Oftentimes when we're dealing with stuff, we justify it. Well, that's just who I am. That's just because of my upbringing. You don't understand my past. I've been hurt. My parents taught me this way. It's a hard habit to break. All these other things to justify it. And we blame things on that. And, and instead, we also look for salvation in things other than God. And Tim Keller is right on. And so for us, the first step in a relationship with Christ is conviction. This thief asked the other thief, do you not fear God? We deserve where we're at right now. We're getting our due reward. This is what we deserve. We broke the law. This is our consequence. But that guy right there, Jesus, does not deserve this punishment. But we deserve it. It was conviction. He felt that shame, that guilt, or what, however you want to claim it. And the thing is for you and I that we need to admit that we're lost before we can be found. We, we need to recognize and acknowledge we are separated from God before we can be reconciled with God. And that starts with conviction, this conf, um, to really realize and acknowledge something is not right. The second word is confession. You got to own up to it. I tell my kids all the time, when you make a mistake, you got to own up. That's hard to do. Right, ladies? Just kidding. Y'all get that joke later, and then I'll be stoned. I'll be stoned. I'm just kidding. Y'all are like, I hate you. I'm not coming to this church. No. I mean, who likes to admit that they're wrong? None of us. I hate going to my kids and saying, Dad was wrong. I hate going to my wife, my coworkers, saying, I made a mistake. I don't like to admit that. Isn't it interesting that it's easier to point out when other people are wrong instead of pointing to ourselves? <laughs> Man, it's so easy, like a machine gun, be like, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. You need Jesus, you need Jesus, you need to go to church. And I forget, I need to look at the mirror every single day and say, you know what, I need Jesus too. I'm wrong every day. 
And so as that conviction settles into our heart, there needs to be confession to say, I'm gonna own it. This is a problem in my life. I say this often and and I wholeheartedly believe it, is that pride is often the biggest barrier to salvation. We'll feel the conviction, but the pride just sits there and it starts to build brick by brick this wall that says, you know what? We, we begin to say things like this. I don't need Jesus. I'm too busy for that. It takes a lot of commitment. You know, um, I gotta clean up my act. That church is just not for me, you know? And we ha- always have an excuse. It's not about you. It's not about your preferences. Suck it up and your pride because you and I need Jesus. I need Jesus every day. You need Jesus every day. And here we are in this moment where Jesus is hanging on the cross and he verbally confesses. And he says, we deserve this. He didn't do anything wrong. We deserve it. Paul says this in Romans 10. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But look at this connection. He says in verse 10, for with the heart, one believes and is justified, but it's with the mouth that one confesses and is saved. It's interesting. We should be able to confess with our mouths verbally to say, hey, this is a problem. I wrote this down and maybe this is just for me, but there's so much freedom when you confess out loud to what you know inside. Because if you don't confess it, it just eats at you, decays, it makes you angry and bitter and you hate the world, you hate everybody and you just get resentful and bitter in life. We should get to a point that says, you know what, I need to confess it. That's what this thief did, he confessed it um, to Jesus. The third word, now, this, I, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that I know this is super churchy, and these are all C's. This is the pastor in me, okay? Third word, word is conversion. You're like, oh, this is churchy. But what I mean by this is that in our relationship with Christ, it's one thing to be convicted. It's another thing to confess, but there has to be a point of conversion in our life where our lives change, where we recognize and we surrender our life to Christ. Let me be very clear about this. In the culture we live in, I think this is, uh, can get mixed up. You are not born a Christian. There are times where I counsel people, I'm like, hey, tell me your story. Well, I've always been a Christian. That's not true. You might have grown up in a Christian home with Christian principles. You might have done a lot of different things, but that doesn't make you a Christian. A Christian is somebody who is convicted of their sin, confesses their sin, and then in their moment, and you make a decision to follow Jesus, to ask for forgiveness, to ask for salvation. That is the moment when you step from death to life, enslaved from sin to freedom. It's, your, it, it, it's you making that surrender and commitment. It's not your parents, and I'm not trying to be insensitive. It's not a baptism when you were an infant. It wasn't confirmation that you went through because your parents made you. It wasn't all the VBSs that your grandma invited you to and you went because they had awesome cookies and juice, okay? It is a decision you have to make that you recognize I'm separated from God and I wanna be in a relationship with him. 
That's when conversion takes place. And so that is so true. And in this, I love it. What we see is this thief says, Jesus, remember me when you go to your kingdom. Remember me when you go to your kingdom. Essentially, what he is saying is, I trust you. You are the Savior. You are the Messiah. You, are, you reign and you rule. Will you remember me? Will you remember me? And so let me ask you this question. I'm just going to be point blank and honest this morning. Have you ever asked Jesus to save you? You'd be like, oh, okay, where are you getting at, Dustin? I'm not saying, have you asked Jesus to take care of you in a, diff a difficult circumstance? I'm not asking if you've prayed to ask for forgiveness for something that you were in that you knew it was a hot mess and you were trying to get out of. I'm not asking if you prayed for someone who's hurting or the, the loss of a loved one and just difficult circumstance in that time. I'm asking, have you personally, you, not your mom, not your dad, not your husband, not your wife, you, have you asked Jesus to save you? Has there been a point where you have gone to him, you've recognized your sin and said, Jesus, I need salvation. I need you to save me. I mean, that's a big decision. The most important decision you will ever face. And unfortunately, I feel like we have a lot of churches that have never prayed that, that uh, uh, people that have never prayed that, play church and it's easy to do. But the most important decision I wanna, or question is, have you asked Jesus? A lot of times I'll talk to people and they'll say, I'll ask them, hey, if you were to die, do you know if you'd spend eternity in heaven or hell? And they're like, well, I hope I can get to heaven. You hope? Man, I hope there's a lot more weight to the situation and to your eternity than just hoping. You can leave here this morning knowing for sure that if you were to die on the way home today, that you would be in eternity in heaven with Jesus. I'm not trying to beat around the bush. I know some of you right now, your palms are sweating, your heart's beating, and you're like, I don't know where you're going. I would not be doing my job and I would not love you well without telling you, have a relationship with Christ. And it's not just a one-time thing, it's a growing thing. That's what relationships are, but this is the first step of that conversion. And that will lead us to my last word, confidence. If there's anything in this life that I must be confident about above all other things, it has to be my eternity. You have to be more confident. I don't mean cocky, and I don't mean that you're naive on, on another extreme, but you should be confident. You should know without a doubt where you go when you die, over the amount of money in your bank account, what your 401k looks like, where you're at in the org chart of your corporation and the company you work for, and how many accolades, awards, trophies your kids have on their bookshelves. Your eternity is the most important thing, and you should be confident of that. And so what we see, and I love this, man, I, what a beautiful picture that Jesus gives that confidence to this thief when he says, today, Today, you will be with me in paradise. So essentially, because of your, your conviction, because of your confession of who I am, your conversion in this, it says, hey, remember me. I'm promising to you so that you can be confident you're gonna be with me today in paradise. Essentially, what Jesus is saying is, I got you. All you have to do is ask. And so what I wanna do this morning, this is, 
a little bit different than what we normally do, but I want to give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus says this. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and lets me in, I will come in and eat with them and them with me. This relationship will start. And today, for some of you, whether you grew up in church or not, Jesus is knocking on that door. He wants you to open that door. You know you need to. You know you need a relationship with him. He says, here, I'm here. I'm right here, right now. So the question on the table for every single one of us is, will you answer the door? Will you answer that door? Don't let your pride, don't let uncomfortableness, don't procrastinate, don't put it off. Don't let your fear in this moment right here determine the rest of your life and eternity. You don't know when it will be your last chance. So this is what I wanna do. If you would just close your eyes, you could bow your heads too, but with eyes closed and hearts bowed, no one looking around, I want you just to be still before the Lord. I want you to make a decision right now. You've heard two different responses of two different thieves. And quite honestly, we're all thieves. We all rob God of different things. But maybe this morning you feel the conviction. You want to confess your sin. You want to convert to faith in Christ. And you want to leave here this morning with confidence in your salvation. All you have to do is open the door and ask. So it's your decision. I can't make it for you. You have to make it. Don't, don't procrastinate. Don't leave here with some uneasiness. I would hate for you an hour from now say, I really wish I wanna take advantage of that. I want you to open the door right now with great boldness. And if you wanna open that door to Jesus, will you just pray this to him and mean it? It's not the words that I'm saying that are magical or anything. It really is the condition of your heart. If you mean it and you have to mean it and be genuine and sincere, just repeat these to your heart. You don't have to say them out loud. You can say this, Jesus, I need you. I recognize I have sin that separates me from you. I put my faith in you and I repent of my sin. I confess you, our Lord, and give you my life. I believe in you. I trust you alone. Save me right now. I will follow you to the best that I can. And I'm yours. And I'm all in. With your eyes closed and hearts still opened, no one, no one looking around, I don't want you to miss this. You know, that criminal, he confessed his faith to Jesus and he did it in front of a crowd. And I know this might sound weird. And it's gonna be a bold, bold move, but no one's looking. Please be respectful, everybody. But if that's you and you said, you know what, I just prayed that prayer for the first time. Will you be bold enough just to raise your hand and look at me? I know it's a lot of pressure, but I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna do anything embarrassing. But with great confidence and assurance that you just gave your life to Christ, would you raise your hand? Is there anyone? Had a couple of the first service, praise God. I'll tell you this. I know it's a scary thing to raise your hand and it's a scary thing to follow Jesus to make that commitment. It's not natural. But what I, I wanna continue to offer is the band is gonna close us in a, a song of worship. I'll be down front and you can come 
talk to me, you can talk to me afterwards, I want you to know for sure. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for life change. We're thankful to be able to come to you out of conviction of our sin, to confess and to know that you are the God of forgiveness through your son Jesus, whose blood was shed for us and that we can have great confidence each and every day, thanking you for that blood so that we can have salvation, that we can be saved. And for the person that's here that maybe they were scared to raise their hand, I pray with great boldness that they talk to me or another one of our team members so we can start them on the right path. This isn't just a one time, let me just pray this and I'll be good. We wanna continue to pray and to grow and to follow you to the best that we can. We pray all these things in your son's powerful name, amen. Hey, let's stand church. Let's respond to what Jesus is doing. If you need to talk or you need prayer, I'll be down front. Thank you.